Good morning. It is nice to be back, despite the, the welcome uh, that, that Paul inevitably gives me. Uh, interested, we're talking there about uh, the, the, the best film. Paul's a little bit out of touch now, his kids are growing up, because he's not watching as many films. Paul was at one point the Pixar man. Uh, if there was a Pixar film, I th- Paul probably counts Pixar films as his top ten of all time. But we're, we're looking this morning at the one, we're starting a new series called The Sermon, and this idea of kind of... Uh, kind of working out which one is the best or which one is the biggest or which one is the worst or that thing where you kind of like, you know, what's the best song ever written or what's the greatest film you've ever seen or that kind of thing. And picking one thing can be quite tricky, but kind of, uh, kind of getting it down to one thing when there's so many, that's actually quite difficult and inevitably it starts uh, a bunch of debates. And a few people, uh, who didn't like the snow, just out of interest? Few people didn't like the snow. Okay, I, I'm just going to annoy you because I love the snow. Uh, I was, I'm 38 years old and I still look outside with like awe and wonder and think, yes, I'm not working today. Uh, and, 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 and I had to go sledging at one point. But if you look back at the kind of like uh, the snow uh, season or the snow two days, but we don't get it very often, so let's call it a snow season, uh, picking the one thing, the greatest thing about the snow season, it can be quite tricky. And this time, the, the, the kind of couple of days that we had, looking back on it, I think, oh, that's quite difficult to work out what, what the one thing that stands out or the, the, the craziest thing that happened. Jem uh, was going to a Hindu with a, a bunch of girls that uh, uh, come to Hope, and they had to make a decision to drive down on the Friday, and the Friday was the crazy day in terms of, like, you know, ice everywhere and snow everywhere. And, you know, I kind of look back, you know, that was, a cra- that was definitely up there with the crazy things that happened during the snow. Another thing that happened during the snow that could be in the, it could be the one, it could absolutely be the one, is um, I, just for those who don't know, I have two dogs. One of them is cool and calm and collected. The other one is an absolute nutter. And Molly is the nutter. And she um, was out for a walk uh, with Jade, who's not here this morning, but Jade was taken for a walk. And Molly always likes this kind of little Rheen River thing that uh, is in uh, Westwick. And she always kind of sniffs it, but she sees the water moving and thinks, oh, I'm not going to go. It was iced over on this particular day. So Molly decided, well, obviously there's been some works done. Uh, and she, you know, they've installed a floor where there's normally water. And she just jumped into the ice there. Obviously it cracked because I feed her too much. Uh, and it cracked and she fell in. And like Jade's like, oh, I'm going to have to jump in the river and rescue someone else's dog. And thankfully Molly managed to pick her big backside up and get out of uh, the icy river. So that was up there. But then this week... The one revealed itself. The one craziest thing that happened during the snow season, uh, for me anyway. Jem's leather gloves went missing from our house. Now normally, you know, the, you know obviously you've used them recently because of the snow season. Jem's like, oh, still a bit cold. Like, where are my gloves? Like, and I was like, Jem, absolutely. I don't pay attention a lot, but I definitely know. I saw the gloves, without a doubt, on the little ottoman chest thing that we have uh, in, inside our house. They were definitely there this morning. She was like, well, they're not there now. Like, what's going on? I was like, well, you know, as Molly chewed them up and, you know, because Molly kind of like, you know, grabs stuff every now and then and chews it up and like spits it all around the house and stuff like that. There was no trace at all whatsoever. No trace. So, well, that doesn't make any sense. If Molly had had them, they'd be, you'd be able to see it somewhere. Anyway, couldn't find them. A couple of days, well, a day went past and then the discovery. I was out in the garden clearing up dog poo. And mixed in, I'm sorry about this, Sunday morning and all that, but mixed in was a full glove. (laughs) And as I went further along the garden, I find another strange-looking, you know, deposit, and and another full glove. 
I don't know what's wrong with her. Like, she, she swallowed... What I love about it is she swallowed, swallowed one glove whole and then went, I want another one. <laughs> Where can I find another? That was good. That was really good. She swallowed it whole. So I washed them down, didn't tell Jem, and she's been wearing them all week, so... <laughs> I'm joking. <clears throat> so asking you to pick out the one, the greatest, the best, the, the, the standout, if you like, is difficult. And if we're looking at Jesus, which is what we're doing, you could like read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and kind of go, Do you, what's, the, what's the one thing, if I, you know, if I want to read the one you know, talk or message or sermon that Jesus gave that kind of sums the whole thing up? then we have pinned it down, or at least we're suggesting that we've pinned it down. The sermon, it might be no surprise to you, or it might be an introduction to you, is a sermon or a message or a talk called the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus gives between Matthew 5 and 7, it's also in Luke as well, bits of it, but Matthew 5 and 7, Jesus speaks out uh, this sermon, and it just basically is the one. So if you're kind of like getting to grips with Jesus, or you need a bit of a refresher, or you're not really sure what he's about, Matthew 5 to 7, we're going to unpack it over however long it's going to uh, take us to do that. But if there is one occasion of Jesus talking that gives us him in one, that gives us an, an, a rounded understanding of what he was about, not what I've picked up from church over the years, not what my childhood kind of suggested to me, what I kind of heard or saw on YouTube or whatever it was, if we're kind of, kind of grasping hold of what was Jesus about, then the Sermon on the Mount is the place to go. That is the sermon. The context of it quickly is Matthew 4 saw Jesus begin to follow, uh, begin to ask people to follow him or tell people to follow him. And you can like uh, see that. And he'd just been baptized and then he started his, his kind of his mission, what he was there for, what he was about. And he was like going up to different people, the fishermen and uh, Matthew, the tax collector, and different people and kind of going, hey, follow me, follow me. You're going to need to. And you, they kind of began to follow him. They were, they were this, it's almost like mixture of misfits. And you kind of go, well, it's not much difference. Like back then to now, like just this kind of mixture of uh, misfit people, some educated, some not, some who knew stuff, some who didn't know stuff, some insecure, some rejected, some who didn't really know what they were doing with their life, some that did know what they were doing with their life, some with difficult pasts, and some with not so difficult pasts, some with limited futures. And you can almost feel that sense of maybe we're the same here this morning. Maybe we've kind of been around a long time and kind of think, do you know what, I've kind of lost track a little bit in all the mix and mess of church what it is this is about, or it might be that you're just kind of finding yourself coming here and you're not really sure, you like the songs or the atmosphere or whatever it might be, or even Paul's jokes, God is a miracle worker, but yeah, maybe there's an, there's an element where you're just, okay, okay, just hang on, Jesus, what is this about? What is this about? And you can feel that in that atmosphere where Jesus started to call people, where you can almost sense them sitting in front of him and say, okay, can you just give it to us in one? Give us it in one. What is this about? Like, I'm following you. I, you know, you kind of like just said, follow me, and I kind of just did, and I don't really know why. And now I could do with understanding. To understand the fullness of the person that God has made me to be. If that's what you're about, then lay it out for me. It wasn't a talk. It wasn't a message or a sermon like any other. And as we'll find, if you'll journey with us, if you can miss a week, then catch up and uh, you know, just kind of come along and, and grab hold of this, that it's, it's the wisdom and the practical with grace and compassion of all the things that are said to help us understand what Christianity is about, what faith is about, and as we'll discover what humanity is about. This was it. This was the one. 
Jesus starts with what became known as the Beatitudes. You might have heard of them before. You might have kind of read them a little bit like, oh, yeah, okay, I understand. That's kind of like his intro, his pre-runner. I would just tell a funny story. Jesus went with eight like, you know, life-shattering statements. Uh, he probably worked out it better. But eight statements that set the tone, the stage, for how this sermon would play out. Eight statements that if you miss it, it's not like a detached part of what he's talking about. It's not this kind of like, oh, let me just get these eight statements out of the way and then we'll get into the meat about you know, murder and divorce and adultery and love and prayer. Like, you know, just, I've got to do this eight statement thing. No, don't miss this, that the Beatitudes create an undercurrent for the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's what, if you don't listen to anything else, if you tune out in a minute because you've got to check your phone or whatever, hear this bit. The Beatitudes are the undercurrent for the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. So everything else that Jesus talks about, everything else that we're going to cover, everything else that he gets into, is in the context of what he lays out here. That's a key, key thing. We, we tend to read with kind of separation, like because the Bible does that thing where it separates up into sections, doesn't it? And we're kind of like, you know, I'm through the Beatitudes, whoo, like, you know, onto the next thing. And we kind of think they're like separate sections. Jesus didn't take a tea break after he finished the Beatitudes. Eight statements that would be the, the banner over the entirety of what he was about. Each of them begin, depending on what uh, version you're reading, with uh, you are blessed or blessed or um, happy is, is uh, a word that is used often to kind of describe what it's saying. Like, uh, blessed are you, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn. And you can kind of read them, and while it's, you can grab an understanding of what the words actually mean, sometimes it's difficult to actually grasp what he's trying to say. You might have, uh, like I said, heard that, you know, sometimes happy is the word. Happy are those that are poor in spirit. Happier. And that, while it kind of translates, it kind of misses, English stitches us yet again. It doesn't quite grasp hold of what it's actually saying. So eight statements that all start the same way. It's probably important to grasp hold of what it's saying. Happy is, for us, most associated with being an emotion that you feel that we react with. You do something and I am therefore reacting with happiness as a result of it. But this is more than that. So don't read these. Don't go away. And I, you know, I'm hopefully going to provoke you to read these because I can't get through eight in one week. And so I'm hoping to you know, kind of set you a sense of, I want to get into that. I want to figure out what it was he said. So don't read it as happy as in when I do this, therefore I will have an emotional reaction. Each of these things Jesus says are about how God views people who live in a certain way. So it's almost like a statement or a, this is, this is how it is, or this is, is what is happening. You are blessed, honoured, freed, peaceful, applauded. E.g., almost God saying, you're getting the idea of who I made you to be when these things are apparent, when these things are happening, when these things are evidenced in your life. You're getting it. You are becoming more in the fullness of who I made you to be. So it's not an emotional reaction. When I'm poor in spirit, I'll be happy. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense if we think about that. When I mourn, I'm going to be happy. That doesn't make sense. So we kind of tend to kind of go, yeah, okay, Jesus, that, that's obviously for more spiritual people because that is not how I feel when I'm mourning. But God is more saying, you know, when you tune into that, when you grasp hold of this, this the, 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 the understanding, the fullness of who he made you to be or who I made you to be, you're getting it. You're grasping hold of that. Verse 3 of uh, Matthew 5. We're going to go 
uh, through these. As I say, I'm not going to open up these. I'm going to kind of leave that to you to do that off the back of understanding the context. Verse 3, you are blessed. This one, the message just opens up a little bit more. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God. You are blessed. You are getting it. You're grasping hold of who God made you to be. When you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you are content with, who, with just who you are. No more, no less. That is the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He has food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You are blessed. You are, you're getting this. You're getting who God made you to be when you care. At the moment of being full of care, careful, you find yourselves cared for. You are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are, your place in God's family. And finally, you are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. You are getting it when you see those things evidenced in your life. You are understanding the core, the heart of who he made you to be. Trouble is, this isn't what I know. This isn't what we know. This isn't what we see around us. This, these eight statements are not the world we live in. This isn't what we're told works. Our young people over there in that corner, that isn't the attitude that they're being taught. That isn't what they're hearing. That isn't what they're surrounded by. It's more like this. Blessed are the strong, for they shall rule the earth. Blessed are the mighty, for they shall rise to power. Blessed are the rich, for they're going to inherit everything. Blessed are the influential, for you'll be favoured. If you're influential, you'll be favoured. Blessed are the popular, for they shall be loved. Our young people are surrounded by that in their schools. Blessed are the gifted, the talented, for they shall be followed. Blessed are the beautiful, for they shall be admired. Everywhere we look, everywhere we look, in modern culture are these. Too often, too often we get caught because we're surrounded by them. Our media, you know, pumps them out all over the place all the time. And we, you know, we even get embroiled in conversations about them and go along with them. And too often we're living to them, believing. And this isn't a condemnation. This is just a kind of, hey, let's wake up to an awareness. Let's wake up to an awareness that Jesus had a different idea and maybe look at the idea and see if it might work better for the connection to who God made me to be. Believing that money will make things work. More money would make things work. That, 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 that attitude, that bad attitude that I'm kind of buying into. I come here and I kind of maybe connect a little bit and drag myself back a little bit, but I know tomorrow I'm going to be caught again by that, that attitude, that non-beatitude, believing that more money will make things work. Believing that influence gets us what we want. Popularity makes us loved. That looking good brings genuine and lasting admiration. So Jesus' eight opening statements are noticeably different to the ones that we are surrounded by. Maybe even encouraged, maybe even put out there to people. So what's Jesus up to here? These eight statements at the start, what's he trying to reset? What is he, what's he trying to restate? Right at the start here, this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, what is it that Jesus is doing? Is he, is he just looking to gain followers? Is he you know, kind of 
trying to just generate some buzz, trying to kind of just kind of be a bit controversial for the sake of it. Do you remember Opposites Day in school? Who remembers Opposites Day? Do you remember that? Just It was like the highest. Is that really all the people remember Opposites Day? Okay, fine. Oh, you're doing that thing where you, you don't remember it, but you do remember it. Has <laughs> it become Opposites Day? It was like the most extended form of thinking you did at primary school. When someone declared it Opposites Day, like, you know, minds were being blown all over the place. When Opposites Day, just in case you don't get it, when Opposites Day was declared, which seemed to be whenever someone felt like it, it was then whatever you said, it was the opposite. And that's how it was, and that was the rule, and you kind of stitching people up, kind of like, ah, oh, you know, do you think I'm ugly? Yeah, I think you're ugly. Yeah, great, that means I'm well good looking. You know, that kind of like, you could just trick people into saying stuff, and good meant bad, and you know, kind of like, you're just kind of like, you know, do you want to give me those sweets? No, I don't. <laughs> Hand them over. Like, you know, you're kind of like stitching people up all over the place. You could always mug someone off with opposites day. It was like a, it was like a, a power thing, like, you know, I have done my homework, sir. <laughs> Like, you know, just like this kind of like weird kind of stitch-up situation you got going on. And then some kid, always, some kid would blow everyone's minds. And I don't know if this was just my score. I don't know if this was a, a kind of like a worldwide thing. Because Opposites Day is a worldwide thing. Some kid would blow everyone's mind by saying, if you declare it Opposites Day, is it? And it, like, you're like eight years old, and you're like, whoa, I don't, I don't know. Like, you're just like, your minds are like, whoa, what's going on? You can't, you can't possibly get your mind around it. Is Jesus just introducing some kind of like opposite day function here with however the world says it is, Jesus just says the opposite. And it's just kind of like, if you say that's good, then I'm going to say that's bad. Or if you say that doesn't work, then I'm going to say this does work. And is he saying something more than just kind of like controversial, like Jesus is just the opposite, the upside down kingdom? And is there anything else going on here that I can grasp hold of that isn't just some primary school kid declaring opposite day? Even in his opening statements of understanding the purpose you were created for, he sends a message. But the message isn't simply one of opposites. He's even to read the kind of Beatitudes, okay, get it, get it right, Jesus, fine, yeah, yeah, whatever the world says, you're the different. You know, whatever the world says, I do the opposite thing. You know, if, if the world is sad about that, then I need to be happy about that. Okay, I get it, Jesus, that's a whole lot of pressure just heaped on me. Appreciate that. Uh, you know, let's kind of move on. It's more powerful than that. Every one of the bad attitudes that you and I are surrounded by, too often live by, too often buy into, too often teach our kids, too often get swallowed up by on social media. Every one of them has a common theme. And that common theme is you. They aim to benefit me. That is the aim of the attitudes we're surrounded by. That's the aim. Whether they do or not, it's a whole different debate. Blessed are the rich, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are the influential, they'll be followed. Blessed are the popular, they'll be loved. Every one of those... We're buying into because the outcome is to benefit me. I want something good for me. I want something good to happen for me. And so I'm going to try and earn more money because I believe at the end of the earning more money, things work out better for me. The goal of each of them was to spend your time, your energy, your money or influence for selfish gain. If you're like this, you'll get this. When you do this, you'll experience this. Jesus' Beatitudes had a different idea. It wasn't just controversial for the sake of it. It wasn't just opposites for the sake of it. It wasn't just doing something, you know, kind of like non-important at the start before they get to the meaty stuff. They aim to benefit people around you. 
every one of the Beatitudes, the outcome is about benefiting other people. The outcome, where it ends up, is that it doesn't benefit you. Even if it does benefit you, the, out, the outworking of it benefiting you therefore benefits other people. So Jesus was going for something way more than just simple opposite. That life will be fullest and most purposeful when you make it about others. So we're going to talk about murder and we're going to talk about divorce and we're going to talk about compassion. We're going to talk about you know, loving others. We're going to talk about prayer. But we're going to do it all under the context of the fact that Jesus was saying the outcome here the outworking of what it means to live for the, as the person that God made you to be is that you would love God and love others as the two most important things going on. But the difficulty for that is that's going to mean us letting go of our number one pursuit, which is, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'll sort me out first and then I'll get to some other people. So right off the bat, Jesus was kind of suggesting this massive trust journey. Trust me, make life work for others. Trust me for your stuff, make life work for others. The first beatitude, for instance, says this, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you there is more of God. And we could dig into that, we could spend a week on each of the beatitudes, but I just kind of felt like, do you know what, there's an element where we can't do everything. I just felt like packing up the beatitudes in order for you guys to go away and grab hold of. But one of them, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you there's more of God. I can't save myself. You cannot save yourself. You can give it a good crack, but you might have found out by now, worked out by now, that you cannot rescue yourself. I have messed up. I needed saving. I needed saving. I got myself to a place where I just, I didn't know who I was. I didn't understand what I'd done. And I needed saving. I needed rescuing. And coming to terms with the fact that I couldn't save myself, that I couldn't earn myself back into God's good books, that I couldn't, you know, forgive, you know, forgive myself without understanding true forgiveness given by someone that gave himself for me, was freeing. You're getting this. You're understanding this when you are at the end of your rope, when you let go and go, I cannot, fr- I cannot rescue myself. There are not 10 steps that I need to take that are going to sort me out. I am not God. I am not in control. Thank God. I am not in control. I was poor in spirit. I'm at the end of my rope. But I am blessed because of my understanding of that. Why? Because I've learned with time that less of me means more of God. And more of God means this is about others, not about me. So the focus shifts from can I rescue myself? Can I save myself? to thank God he saved me, he's rescued me, I didn't deserve it, but his grace has poured out of my life. Therefore, from that place of never having earned it myself, I can pour out compassion and love on other people around me and get them to see the same thing. Seeing God in the world, less fixated on what you have, helping those to know who they are. And the rest of the Beatitudes lead us on this, this this abandoning of pride, this caring for people, discovering light and darkness, hope for anyone. I can't fix it. I can't save you. But I know a God who can. I've met a God who can. Everything that he would go on to talk about, we'll we'll cover this. Pam's coming next week. Uh, I'm going to try and get her to talk about this stuff, but it's a bit late notice, so we'll give her a freebie. But... I'm going to, you know, we're going to walk through this stuff, salt and light. 
light on a hill, murder, divorce, giving, worry, prayer, worship, wisdom, authenticity, all the stuff that Jesus gets into in Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through it all. But everything he would go on to talk about comes under the banner of the Beatitudes. That you are getting this. And all eight suggest this, say this. You are getting this when you understand and begin to live in a life that isn't about getting what you have decided you wanted, but trusting him for your stuff so that you can live for others. That humanity, living in a fullness, could impact the world around you. Our situations tend to make us go in on ourselves. Uh, Dan, how do you want to come? Our situations tend to make us go in on ourselves. How can I get through this? Some of you have walked in here with stuff going on, with situations going on, with you know, things that you're worried about, situations that you're not sure how they're going to kind of end up, and you're maybe mapping them out, or maybe you don't know how it's going to figure out, whatever. And you kind of you approach it with a mentality that kind of makes us go in on ourselves. It's not necessarily evil or anything like that. It's just what it tends to do when we believe that, you know, I've still got hold of the rope. I can still rescue this. I can still save this. How can I get through this? How can I protect myself? How can we sort this out? Where can I spend my money? When will this feel better? Jesus introduces a new adventure, a new approach. If you're there in this place this morning, coming in here with this whole idea of, okay, yeah, that's good, that's good, the Beatitudes, live for other people, I get it, understand. But I've got to sort my stuff out first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because where there's less of you, there's more of God. You're getting it where you let go and say, John, as hard as it might be, and I'm going to need people around me to help me with this, but I'm going to trust in him so that I can live for others. The world is going to be screaming at you. What? Are you crazy? <laughs> You've got to sort your stuff out. You've got to take care of your stuff. You've got to make sure that you're okay. I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to make it about them. That all you're going through, all that you're experiencing is that someone somewhere can be helped. Can you imagine that? Imagine approaching the stuff that you're going through, the things that you are dealing with, the hurt and the pain and the struggle and the confusion, all the rest of it, and having an understanding that everything I'm going through, everything that I'm experiencing, someone somewhere can be helped by what God is doing in this time, in this season. That all you've accomplished and accumulated is that someone somewhere can be given to. That all you've learned and understood is so that someone somewhere can be rescued or healed. I don't know if you've ever heard, never heard this name before. Some of you more educated than me, people will under, uh, have under, heard this word, uh, guy's name before. A guy called Jonas Salk. Sorry if I've got that wrong. S-A-L-K. And he was uh, the guy that created a polio vaccine uh, in the 50s. He chose, he's like, you know, the Beatitudes all over, like, blessed are, you are getting it, Jonas, you are getting it, because he chose in 1955 to not patent, as in not, you know, copyright, not take ownership of the vaccine that he had created that made it much more affordable for the millions of people who needed it. He chose not to do that. They estimate, as a result, he missed out on earning an estimated $7 billion dollars because he got it. This isn't about me. 
This isn't about grab for me. This isn't about sort me out and then maybe I'll help some people with my seven billion. This isn't about, you know, kind of making sure that I'm set in order. No, I'll trust God for the stuff that I'll need because people need this vaccine. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beatitude the, the step that I take next. I'm not going to take that as mine. People need this. He got it. He lived in the fullness of who he was made to be. Blessed. Sermon on the Mount, as we finish this morning, this morning, the Sermon on the Mount, the Christian faith is an idea, a radical idea. But it's, it's more than opposites day. It's more than Jesus just kind of like, yeah, that's what the world says. I'm going to say differently. It's more than that. That I might see Jesus, hear him, experience his presence, know his sacrifice for me. That's why we gather together. That's why we have this time together, so that we can experience the realness of who God is. And then make a choice to live differently when we're not here. When we're not in our, you know, our small groups or our communities or whatever. Those things are to fuel what we then go and do. They're not about making us feel spiritual enough that we've ticked that box. Opposite to the world that we know. A choice to trust him with my life so that I'm free to love others. A choice to trust him to provide. That's a challenge for some of us in here. To provide to heal, to lead, to rescue the life that I've given to him so that I might use what he's given me for the good of those around me. That's what the Beatitudes were about and they are the undercurrent for everything for the rest of that sermon.